Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. All right, here we go. It's a brand new Flyers Daily for the 16th of March, 2023. As the Flyers will be back in action tomorrow night. Game two of this seven-game homestand. They'll take on the Buffalo Sabres tomorrow night at Wells Fargo Center. Back-to-back Friday and Saturday. St. Patty's Day tomorrow. And the Flyers will be in action Saturday for the hangover game, as I'm affectionately calling it. As the Flyers will take on the Carolina Hurricanes in Game 3 of the seven-game homestand. Carolina, top spot in the Metropolitan Division. They've got 96 points, two up on the New Jersey Devils. That they played one less game than the Devils. And the opponent tomorrow night, the Buffalo Sabres, on the outside of the playoff picture looking in. They got three games in hand on the New York Islanders, who have 76 points and hold down wild card number two. Uh, But they are five points back, our Buffalo. They are also two points back of the Florida Panthers, who stand between them and the New York Islanders, so they have to leapfrog them. But they do have a game in hand on the Florida Panthers. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. Buffalo will need the points coming up tomorrow against the Philadelphia Flyers. They're 33-28-5 on the year, 71 points, 4-5-1 in their last 10, plus 3 in goal differential. But they can put the puck in the net, 242 goals for on the season. One of the higher scoring teams in the National Hockey League, and they're a team that has gone through a rebuild for a very long time. Third in the NHL, by the way, in goals per game at 3.65. Their problem has been that they give up too many goals. 3.61 is what they give up per game. It's the seventh highest in the NHL. So that'll be tomorrow. That'll be Flyers, Sabres tomorrow. So in this episode, a couple things to get to that I've just been meaning to talk about and wanted to talk about. And now that we're well past the NHL trade deadline, now that we're in this final stretch of the season, 15 games remain. Flyers right now have the fifth worst record in the NHL. And, I, you know, I see a lot on social media, and I've got a few emails from people loving the fact that they're the fifth worst team in the NHL because their odds have increased to get the top spot or get a top two spot, for that matter, in the 2023 NHL lot, draft lottery, which is coming up on May 8th, by the way. So the draft lottery odds to land the number one overall pick for the Flyers right now, uh, they have the fifth worst record, like I said, so they have an 8.5% chance to move up to number one, 8.5. The second spot in the draft for them would be an 8.8% chance that they have to grab that pick. So 8.5 for number one, 8.8 for number two. Seeing as they're fifth in the NHL right now, they can't be three or four, so there's 0% chance. They have a 24.5% chance of staying at number five. They have a 44.2% chance of sliding back to number six, and a 13.9% chance to slide back to number seven. So what I did, I said, okay, let's let's have a little fun here tonight. And there'll be more time to go through this and talk about it and talk about, you know, the effect that Connor Bedard is going to have on the NHL and will have on whatever city he ends up in. Adam Fantilli or Leo Carlson or Meech Goff, Will Smith, all these different players. We'll have plenty of time plenty of time to talk about those players. Will Smith is a guy, by the way, that seen some mock drafts have it uh, being taken fifth overall. Uh, Will Smith is a center from the U.S. National Team Development Program, six foot, 172 pounds. And by the way, his birthday is tomorrow. 
He's born in 2005, if you can believe it. And he's going to Boston College where Cutter Gauthier is right now and maybe returning. Uh, so that's a player, the Flyers, if they stayed at five, that could be a target for them. We, we shall see a center again. Uh, but it got me thinking, okay, let's run through the NHL draft simulator. And you can sit there and you can hit it three times, six times. And you, you tend to hit it as many times as it takes for the Flyers to land with the number one overall pick. So I said, let's do a completely unscientific study. I could have ran it 100 times, but I don't have the time for that. But I did run it 20 times, 20 times in a row. And for each one of the times I ran it, I marked down where the Flyers were slated to pick. Now, right now, if everything stayed chalk, they would pick five. So here's the results I came up with in the 20 times that I ran it. First time, they landed six. And the second time, they actually moved backwards a spot. And again, like I said, six has the highest percentage chances at 44.2 for the Flyers. It seems odd that you're the fifth worst team, but your highest percentage chance is a pick below where you are. But that's the way the lottery works. The third time I ran it, the Flyers were five, where they have a 24.5% chance. The fourth time I ran it is the first time the Flyers came in at the top of the draft, number one. Next time, and number five, spin number five was the next time was a six. The one after that is a fifth overall. And then the next time was a number two overall. The seventh spin landed me the first time the number two overall pick would come up. And it has the Sharks as the team selecting number one. The eighth pick, or the eighth spin rather, it was a number five. The ninth, a number two. And again, second pick in the draft, that's Fantilli by most experts. And the Columbus Blue Jackets landed the number one pick there. They have the highest odds at 18.5. And then the 10th time I ran it, it was a fifth, the fifth spot in the draft. So the next 10, the 11th time I ran it, they came in at number two. And on that occasion, it was Arizona who landed the number one pick. Then the very next spin, the Flyers came in with the top pick. Third or the uh, 13th spin, the Flyers ended up with the fifth pick. Then the seventh pick, that's the first time for the number seven to move down two places. Oh, man, people would be melting down if that happens. But right after the they landed at seven, they got the number one overall pick for now the one, two, three, third time. Next spin, fifth overall pick. One after that, they landed the number one overall pick. Then a five, a two, Columbus Blue Jackets with the top pick when they pick two. And then the last one, the 20th spin, they got number two again, and the Vancouver Canucks had the top overall pick. So here's the total breakdown over the 20 spins of how it all broke down. They got the number, or let's go backwards. They got the seventh pick just one time. That's good. That's the nightmare scenario. You move backwards two spots. They got the sixth overall pick three times. They got the fifth overall pick seven times. They got the second overall pick five times. And they got the first overall pick four times. So not bad. Four out of 20. Better odds than 8.5%. But we'll see how this plays out. I don't know if Danny Briere is one of those guys. I mentioned this with Bill. Where luck just follows him around. Is he one of those guys where his friends are always like, dude, you have the, the best luck in the world because this happened to you. Or you buy a scratch-off and you win a grand on a dollar scratch-off ticket at the Wawa. 
I don't know if he's a good luck guy or not. I doubt he's a bad luck guy. <laughs> but, you know, you look at the situation, we could use a little luck. Let's just be honest here. We could use a little good fortune, a little luck. So can a lot of other cities. Columbus could. Yeah, they got Gaudreau. Is that it? That's good enough for them. San Jose. Do we really want Connor Bedard in San Jose? Is that best for the NHL marketing machine? Probably not. Chicago? Look, they already got Patrick Kane, number one, because of a coin flip, and the Flyers got James Van Riemsdyk at two. They lost a coin flip, for goodness sake. Do they deserve number one? Hell no. Uh, the Anaheim Ducks. Again, do we need a superstar player in Anaheim? Is that going to help the NHL market raise the salary cap because HRR goes up higher? No way. Not as much as it would help if he was in a city like Philadelphia at 8.5% chance. East Coast. It's an East Coast world, people. I'm sorry. But it is. Montreal, would it help? Of course. Great historical market. It would be, and again, East Coast time. It's not in the U.S., but, you know, that's still a great market. Arizona? Are you kidding me? If he ends up in Arizona, forget it. That's that's just an absolute mess. End up in Vancouver? Vancouver's a good market, but again, their games are at 10 o'clock at night. You already got Connor McDavid, the best player in the league, playing at 10 o'clock East, East Coast time. Do we need another superstar playing at 10 o'clock East Coast time? That's not maximizing the superstar power. Detroit? Okay, Detroit, I can see. that's It's not East Coast time. It's not West Coast time. Great hockey history and original six. Okay, I can buy into that. Washington? Dude, you already got Ovechkin. They have a 3% chance, does Washington right now? But you already got Ovechkin, and you've had him for damn near 20 years. Do you really got to go from Ovechkin to Bedard? I mean, that's absurd. So look at all those teams. Who deserves it the most? Probably the Flyers and the Montreal Canadiens. Everybody else, pff, get out of here. doesn't do any good. It may do good in Chicago, but damn it, they got Patrick Kane. So I'm not falling for it. So that's how it broke down in my unscientific study. Let's get to an email. We haven't gotten an email in a while. And I get this email from a guy named Ethan. I won't put his last name out there because I'm not sure if he wants it out there. Not that he said anything salacious or controversial or anything like that, but he does say, hey, Jason, huge fan of the podcast and really appreciate your approach to covering the Flyers now more than ever with the last few seasons being some rocky ones. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I try and remain level-headed. I try and remain calm. Blah, blah, blah. But here he goes on. He says, like a lot of Flyers fans, I've been thinking a ton about the 2023 draft and have constantly been wondering what, outside of intentionally losing the remaining games on the schedule, which I agree with everything you said about tanking for months now, could be done to increase the Flyers' chances of landing the first overall pick. He said, so I'm curious if you think there would ever be a scenario where the Flyers would try to trade their 2023 first-round pick in a package deal to any of the teams below them in the standings to try and play the odds in trying to get the first overall pick or at least a higher pick. So he's saying move down to one of the teams that has higher odds at landing the number one overall pick. For the sake of his email, Columbus, San Jose, Chicago, and Anaheim are the four teams with a record worse than the Flyers and higher odds. So that's who he'd be pointing to here on March 15th. Uh, he said, for example, if the standings were to say as they are today, March 15th, that's when he sent it to me, could you see a scenario where maybe the Flyers trade with Columbus and did a package of 
their 2023 first-round pick and either Hayes slash Provorov. I'm, I'm assuming he means Hayes and or, or Provorov. Probably not both. He said and uh, any other older contracts that don't match the Flyers' rebuild timeline in exchange for Columbus's first-round pick just to possibly pick up the higher lottery odds. He said, and just to be clear with my question, this would have to happen before the draft lottery, which, like I said earlier, is May 8th. And I would imagine once a team knows they have the top pick, they will hold on to it with a death grip. In this scenario, understand that they still aren't guaranteed the top overall pick, uh, but it could still improve their chances to get a top three pick in a fruitful draft year. Would any of the teams below the Flyers be interested? He said, Columbus Blue Jackets is my best bet as to who would bite because they invested in Gaudreau last season, uh, which makes me think that they're expecting their window to be sooner rather than later. And the Flyers risk would give away, giving away players like Hayes slash Provy, who would have current value and could possibly return other NHL players' future picks at another time, just to possibly get a high-end prospect like Bedard, Fantilli, etc. at the draft. Thanks in advance. Love all the hockey content you provide to us fans. Take care, Ethan. Um, great email, Ethan. And the fir- when I read it at first, the first thing I thought of, the first element of it, I go, okay, draft pick value. Now, there's some charts out. Eric Tolsky, when he worked for Broad Street Hockey, did one back in 2013, which I've looked at. Uh, There's some more recent draft value charts. We've seen these in the NFL where, you know, the 23rd pick in the first round or the 23rd pick in the second round is equal to the 27th pick in the second round and, you know, the eighth pick in the third round. Like those two things equal the value of the higher pick. And you can look at those charts and try and disseminate what they mean and how that plays out and what it looks like. First and foremost, as of right now, this moment with the Flyers with 15 games remaining, I thought it would be important just to look at the remaining strength of their schedule. And, you know, a team like Columbus's remaining strength of schedule you know, Anaheim's remaining strength of schedule, Arizona, Montreal, Chicago, look at all those teams. The remaining 15 games for the Flyers and their strength of schedule, along with the NHL, has them with the 21st hardest ranked schedule in the NHL. Okay, so let's call the, the first group, their tough opponents that they have remaining are Boston, Carolina, which is Saturday, Dallas, which is on this homestand, the Minnesota Wild, and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Their so-called easy opponents are the Columbus Blue Jackets, the Chicago Blackhawks. By the way, that's the last two games of the year against those two opponents. They have Montreal on the schedule, St. Louis, Detroit, and Ottawa. So that's who they have remaining on their schedule, the 21st-ranked toughest schedule in the NHL, which is not high. I mean, you look at when you look at San Jose, they have the ninth-hardest remaining schedule. When you look at Montreal, they have the fourth hardest remaining schedule. When you look at Chicago, it's the 19th. Or you look at Arizona, it's the 24th. So how this all plays out remains to be seen. But the first thing I thought of after looking at the strength of schedule and the draft pick of and the draft pick value chart was if I was a GM in the NHL and I'm a team like we just talked about that's got top three 
top four odds in the NHL. I'm the, the Columbus Blue Jackets. I take over for Yarmo Kekalainen. Or I'm in Anaheim, and I'm the GM there. Am I going to give myself a lesser chance to grab the next superstar, generational player in the NHL? Because we've seen what generational players can do. And I'm very gun-shy about using the word generational. I don't use it like a lot of other people. To me, Austin Matthews, superstar, not generational. He's a great player, but he is not generational in my book. The generational players that are in the league now, Alex Ovechkin, Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid. I look at players like McKinnon or, like I mentioned, McCarr is not generational. He's a great player, not generational. But this is a generational talent in Connor Bedard. Gave you the numbers the other day. Through 47 games in his draft-eligible season, He's got three more points than McDavid had in 47 games in his draft-eligible season. Bedard has slightly more goals and less assists, and and uh, Connor McDavid had less goals and more assists. McDavid in 47 games in his draft-eligible season had 120 points. Bedard in 47 games in his draft-eligible season has 123. So that's the type of player that he is. He's different than McDavid. He shoots like Matthews. He doesn't skate like McDavid. Nobody does. But he is going to be a superstar. So the effect of Ovechkin in Washington, and I don't just mean on the ice. I mean in the building, in the market, in the newspapers, on the websites. The minute he was drafted, they're front page news. No longer the back page of the newspaper or a couple pages in. No. They're a marquee team in the market. Their market share, because of the presence of a player like Ovechkin in the D.C. market, goes through the roof. And if you trade with the Flyers and you don't have an Ovechkin, but you have some good play, no. It's easy to market a generational player. And it, look, it's going to make the team more money. They're going to make the team more interesting. Everything. You know, you look at a team like Pittsburgh, the minute they got Sidney Crosby in the draft lottery, and Anaheim ended up with Bobby Ryan. The Pittsburgh Penguins went back to the front page of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. It's just the fact of the matter. The effect a generational player has on all elements of a franchise and market. Frankly, a generational player will make tavern owners, bars, more money because that's how much of a lightning rod they will bring people in that aren't normally in, It'll become a spectacle to see a player like Connor Bedard. Like it's a spectacle to see a player like Connor McDavid. Like it's still a spectacle to see Crosby or Ovechkin or Lindros in his day. Those guys are spectacles. And there's a lot that comes with it. So if I'm a general manager of Columbus, San Jose, Chicago, or Anaheim, is there any package anybody could put together to move up and have a better chance, take my better odds to land that player? Oh, hell no. No way. I'm not doing it. I want that player. Ethan's email says, you know, they appear like their timeline's a lot sooner than the Flyers. Columbus, because they signed Gaudreau, who's 30 years of age. I don't know that. Look, Columbus signed Johnny Gaudreau because he was available, and everybody else has left Columbus. 
whether it was Rick Nash, whether it was Sergei Bobrovsky, whether it was Artemi Panarin or Jeff Carter, players and all through the years don't want to, hadn't wanted to stay in Columbus. Gaudreau wanted to come here. Flyers weren't doing that. Couldn't get a deal with the, done with the Devils. So they were what was left over. But he wanted to go there. So of course they signed him. Because everybody else leaves Columbus. Somebody of substance wanted to come there. So they signed him. I don't know. It, I, I don't think that Yarmo Kekalainen would consider that in, by any chance. Again, when you talk about trades and you talk about a chance at a generational player, I don't think you can do anything to pry better odds with one of those teams that is below you in the standings and therefore has better odds to land them. Just don't think, just don't think that that would be viable. That GM would get destroyed. Now imagine this happens. The Flyers make a trade with, say, uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets. They jump up, they grab the 18.5% chance to land them. Then they don't win the lottery. But Columbus does with the 8.5% chance to land them. <laughs> Could you imagine? Oh, my goodness. We had them, but we had to make this dumb deal and get greedy. Oh, it would be. I, I'm going to talk to Danny Briere this afternoon for tomorrow's podcast. I'll tell you what. I would tell him not to do that. <laughs> but that would be that would be Murphy's Law in a nutshell. All right, let's get to um, a couple of days ago before the game on Tuesday. Flyers held their morning skate that day, and Sean Couturier practiced with the team in a non-contact jersey. He's been pushing really hard, and I didn't get this to this in yesterday's episode, but I want to put it in this episode. He met with the media, talked about the frustration of not playing, going through this process, pushing hard to try and get back, and why he wants to get back. You guys all know, I've made the case 100 times. I think it's important, if he can get back this year to play a few games, to play him. You'll get his reasoning why and what he's been through and much more. So here's Sean Couturier meeting with the Flyers media after Flyers practice the other day. I guess to kick things off, how nice was it to be back out on the ice with your teammates? Yeah, it was really nice. Um, felt great. It's been a while, and uh, just, just happy to enjoy some time with my teammates. How's your back responding? I know, I, I believe it's probably such a day-to-day thing. How's your back responding to everything? Uh, it's been going really well. Um, you know, been a couple weeks working out, skating, um, you know, progressing really well. So, um, you know, just take it one day at a time and hopefully, uh, you know, get to 100% here real soon. Would when you say, did rejoining the team become a conversation? Was that? When did rejoining the team become a conversation, even just your skate? Uh, well, I think that the goal ever since I got surgery was to come back at some point this year. So um, that's kind of something I've I've had my mind on uh, for a while. It's been tough at times, just not seeing like the the light at the end of the tunnel. But uh, you know, here we are getting closer and, and finally uh, being able to at least join the team for a morning skate, maybe get a practice in here by the end of the week and um, go from there. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing. I feel I feel good. I feel good skating, uh, you know, shooting pucks, passing. But, you know, it's by myself most of the time. It's not like a, it's not like a, a team thing or it's not like if I'm with my like a, on a line or or in game situations. So that's kind of what I'm, I'm really looking forward to. You obviously had the, the first surgery. You, you tried to come back from that. Where is your back feel now in comparison to where it was around this time after the first surgery? Yeah, it's it's day and night. It feels, uh, feels a lot better. Um, you know, last time there was always a little something kind of 
nagging me and um, you know I was kind of just you know pushing through it not really knowing what it was uh, and you know we you know didn't really know too what it was, it was just kind of inflammation and we said it would go away but kind of lagged for a while and um, you know I was able to pretty much do everything but it was just kind of always feeling a little un uncomfortable at, at uh, down the, the the glute area and um, yeah just kind of then once I got pushing real hard, it just kind of came back, flared up on me. But now, like, I have not any of those those feelings or anything, so I'm able to just, you know, work out normally without even having that in the back of my mind. So it's it's, it's nice. How hard would you say you are pushing it right now in terms of you had to put a percentage on it? Oh, I'm pushing as hard as I can right now. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to get back this year and, and get some games in. So uh, it's been a couple of weeks where I've, I've been ramping up, and, uh, you know, I feel like I'm – almost like it's almost like if I had a full summer of training at this point and getting uh, anxious for training camp kind of thing so uh, I know there's only a month left in the season but uh, you know I'd definitely like to maybe get a couple games in when we spoke to Chuck in February he said that he wasn't sure if you were going to have enough runway to potentially come back and get back into games game shape and ultimately play in a game how are you approaching that um, aspect of it and how optimistic are you that you might be able to play We'll see. Like I said, that's it's it's always been kind of the goal of mine. But um, you know, realistically, I got like I said, I got to get into practice, feel some game situations, uh, you know, see how I do execution-wise with the puck and stuff. Uh, you know, it's one thing to skate and you know bag yourself, but uh, hockey's a lot more than that. There's you know there's timing, uh, execution, a lot of different things going out out there. And you know, when when you've been out for such a long time like me. Um, I don't know honestly if it's going to come back within a couple of days or a couple of weeks or so I'm just uh, you know like I said today was a good step in, in the right direction getting a morning skate feeling really good uh, I don't think I looked out of place so <laughs> it's a good thing and you know like I said maybe get a practice in by the end of the week go from there and we'll see I mean hopefully hopefully I, I, I'm good to, to play a couple of games. Last year um, people questioned why Kevin came back especially since it was also like the team was out of playoffs only a few games and then when we talked to him this year he said it was just really good for him mentally and physically I guess why what are the reasons you want to be back for this season specifically yeah it's it's something that I've I've actually talked a little bit with them uh it's you know it's you, especially for me it's been if I wait till next year it's going to be almost two years I haven't played an NHL game which is not ideal going I mean I'm not getting any younger either so uh I just want to get a game, you know, a feel of the game and, and, you know, knowing that going into the summer, I know what I have to do to be back at the level I need to be. Um, yeah, just just feeling good about yourself, you know, that you're, you know, back being a hockey player and not just rehabbing. And, you know, I've, I've done that enough, I feel, in the last <laughs> couple months, year and a half. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of the, the mindset I have anyways. When we talked to to John Tortorella about an hour or so ago, he said that you were kind of losing your mind because you haven't been able to play. How tough has this been mentally for you, the challenge of it all? Yeah, it's it's, it's been really tough, uh, you know, especially with everything that's going on around here and, you know, not being able to, to help the team, you know, contribute in, in any way. You kind of feel left out a little bit and, you know, not able to really do anything. So to change anything so it's it's been hard um, like I said I just I'm glad I'm back with my my teammates now and I can be around and you know get a feel of of the of the the chemistry and everything going on and hopefully get into practice and, and go from there just get a feel of the team that you know I just want to 
be in control of some kind of thing and, and help this team in, in any way I can, whether it's a, you know, even if I'm just around and I, I can help in, in any way, it, it'd be nice. So um, that's kind of the, the mindset I have anyways, just to try to get back and help some, some guys and do anything I can to get this team back in the right track. How much have you learned about yourself, Sean, like mentally, and maybe have you learned the value of patience here? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, been through a lot of ups and downs, and uh, you know, it puts you you question yourself, and you put a lot of things into perspective uh, around hockey and and in life. You know, family time and stuff. Uh, you know, definitely missed the game, and it, you know, it's something that I think when you're out for such a long time. That you feel that sometimes you almost take it for granted, um, you know. So that's definitely something that I've, I've kind of learned, you know. That you know, when I'm back, there's, you know, enjoy it as much yeah. as you can every moment, and uh, you never know when something like this can happen. So it's just yeah, that's that's the biggest thing that I've I've learned anyway. But just to kind of, like you said, be patient, you know, um, you know, have some balance in life, hockey, family, you know, you know, on and off the ice. So. Um, Definitely been a lot too much time to think, <laughs> um, so I'm just glad to you know finally be be around the team and and focus on what I love doing. Yeah. You're not the only one who's had a long-term injury on this team. Obviously, Cam and, and Ryan, and now Travis has been out. I guess what has it been like at least having some camaraderie with those guys when you're not getting to be out there with your healthy teammates? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, we're all. I mean, we're all in different kind of situations though, so it's it's different, but it's it is nice to. You know when you're kind of set up part of the team and, and rehabbing and you have at least a you know a teammate or a buddy to <laughs> rehab with and <laughs> talk to it's it's nice but uh i mean that's not something we kind of want around here anyways you know too many injuries so you want guys healthy and um you know i just like i said i've just been pushing myself trying to do everything right to put myself in the best situation possible to to be at my best when I return. So last season in exit interviews, you said you're still trying to find ways to be involved, even though you weren't on the ice. And I know the guy said you are still around. What are some of those ways that you're trying to help out the team, even though you can't play? Uh, well, I think last year was a little different because, like, I was I wasn't coming back last mm -hmm. year. It was kind of I had the surgery too late in the year where it wouldn't have been possible to come back. Where this year, so like. I was a little more around the team, I feel, and, and kind of started practicing, but not really kind of pushing myself to, to, to come back. Whereas this year, I'm trying to kind of, I'm a, I'm a little, I feel more a uh, side of the team, but trying to do more uh, to get back. Um, you know, it's not the same when you're working out rehabbing than being around the team. So I'm just trying to do everything I can um, in the best capabilities I can to come back. So. Uh, I feel I've been a little less around the team this year, but uh, lately, you know, starting to be a little more around and it's a lot, a lot more fun anyway for me. <laughs> Sean, the, uh, the last time you played, the Flyers as an organization were in a significantly different place than they are now. Obviously, over the last few weeks, there's been a lot of talk about the fact that they're going to be rebuilding, that Danny Breer flat out said that. I guess for you, I mean, you when you resigned and you signed your contract, you weren't necessarily signing to be part of a rebuild. I guess, you know, what are your thoughts on, on the, the changing winds of the organization now as you're looking to return? Yeah, things have definitely changed in the last two or three years. Um, definitely not a situation I was uh, envisioning um, when I signed, but, um, you know, here we are. That's the business of the NHL. Things can go one way or the other pretty quick in, in this league. And, uh 
you know, being part of a rebuild is not what you want, but uh, I think it's the right thing to do in the, in the situation we're at and, and the, the time that we're at. And um, with all the injuries that we've had and everything, it's kind of it's kind of something that we have to do. And you know, I'll 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 do my best to you know be around and, and lead the right way and get this this team back on track as as quick as possible. What has it been like, kind of navigating the emotions of seeing Chuck leave, but also seeing Danny, someone who you, I mean, you've lived with, uh, get the opportunity <laughs> to be the interim? Yeah, it's really uh, it's mixed mixed emotions, I guess. Uh, feel real bad for Chuck. Um, you know, he was a great man and a great hockey mind, and um, you know, he's been put into a really tough situation ever since he's he's been here. So. I uh, feel bad for him. He was a great guy, and, and I, I respect uh, everything he's done for me and, and my family. So, uh, But at the same time, um, Danny B, I mean, I've, I've lived with him. <laughs> he's kind of like a father to me, but um, I'm happy for him. He's, he's put in a lot of work in the last couple of years to kind of uh, make his way uh, up there, up the rankings, and uh, I think he, he deserves a, a chance to put this team back on track. There he is, Flyers forward Sean Couturier addressing the media. Haven't heard from him in a long time. It's almost like you forgot that the man was around. I see him once in a while at the practice facility or at games up in the press box or in the elevator or walking downstairs, but um, I'd like to see him get back. Yeah, he's such an important piece for them and can provide so much. What is he going to be when he comes back? Immediately, probably not great. It's going to take time. He hasn't played hockey since December of 2021. And you heard him mention there too, if I don't come back until next year, that's almost two years without playing in the NHL. Playing in an NHL game. That's a long time. Uh, he wants to come back. They're going to have to weigh everything. He's going to probably have to do a PowerPoint presentation why he wants to come back and, and do some convincing. But we'll see how this plays out, and we'll certainly be monitoring. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. We'll preview Flyers Sabres on tomorrow's episode, but have a great Thursday. We'll talk to you tomorrow on a brand-new Flyers game. Yeah.